Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm Dungeon Master Chris. And today we are returning to our Raw Real Monsters series. Today we are talking about a staple, I would say. Would you say too, Chris, a staple of Dungeons and Dragons? Yes, I would. Dragons. 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 We're talking about dragons, and we have none other than Ivan Van Norman, the dragon himself, here to talk dragons with us. So stay tuned for the meet. That's what's coming up. But before we get into that, Chris, we have some five-star reviews. Our first five-star reviews comes from January Gray. Five stars, lots of great ideas and advice. I'm still fairly new to DMing and was primarily sticking to published books and modules, but this podcast has ruined that for me in the best possible (laughs) way. I've been inspired by so many of the ideas presented in this podcast that I'm now working on my own homebrew world and adventures that I'll be unleashing on my players very soon. Unleashing is such a great word there. I don't (laughs) think they'll know what's hit them. So thank you very much, January Gray, for your five-star review. Our next review comes from Gamers Have Many Lives and is entitled Great Listen for Inspiration. At first, I started listening to help get past my writer's block or my dungeon master's block, as we like to say. (laughs) The discussion ideas that you guys have refreshed my creativity. Amidst my planning for four other games, wow, I am building a world with a timeline, pantheon, and more. Thank you guys for helping me get past my DM block. There you go. They've got it. They've got it. Thank you so much. Gamers have lives. And with that, let's head into the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The flat meat back on the menu, boys. So welcome to the meat. Today, we are joined by a very special guest, Ivan Van Norman. Ivan is a game designer. He is a geek and sundry Twitch host, and you might just remember him from a little TV show called King of the Nerds. He was one of the season one finalists. And I mean, we should also state this too, but if you know anything of Ivan, you might also know that his nickname is The Dragon. So Ivan, we welcome you so much to the show. Hi, welcome. And talk about eons and eons and eons ago of the King of the Nerd (laughs) stuff. Uh, Oh my. It's been something like five or four years at this point since that show first came. Like when when I probably filmed it, probably four years since it aired, because I have a a vague memory of it being like 20. 2012 or 2013, and it, of course, came out in January, but it, it feels like a lifetime ago, yeah. I will say that, <laughs> be it only four or five years. Ivan, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself that maybe people wouldn't know from the things that you do for Geek and Sundry and all of the other TV shows that you've been a part of. I don't even know what I'm really known for nowadays. Maybe that's a little bit of a messy branding identity (laughs) for me. But, I mean, I know some people know me because of my game design and because of, uh, you know, the projects that I'm working on. So I've had a book publishing company for about five years that uh, made a role-playing game called Outbreak Undead. We've since been developing board games and role-playing games for those last years. We've been, I've been going, I don't know if a lot of people know that I go to Gen Con with a booth every single year for the last <laughs> six years. 
I helped work on Tabletop Season 3 as a crowdfunding consultant. I was a game producer this year on Tabletop Season 4. Nice. So I helped um, I helped all of the gang kind of pick out games, teach them to the guests, and then do the write-ups that Will talks about for this hmm. upcoming season. So when he does these openings and he talks about these games, those are I had a finger in each one of those pots. I am being credited as uh, the – I don't know if it's either going to be game producer or if it's going to be producer or what, what title they're going to give me. But I do know More I was there. More of a branding identity crisis. Right, exactly. <laughs> More of, like, yeah. well, who am I? Well, who am I? <laughs> You've told us a little bit about, like, all these – specific like things you do you're all over the place yeah are you working on anything specific right now so specific right now the two things that are that are fun is is, um on geek and sundry monday nights i host a rpg show it's called the forever verse it's a live play role-playing game not unlike a lot of the shows that are kind of butting up now and and obviously we're in the same channel as critical role but the thing that is unique about it is is that it's our cast of characters who are sliding from dimension to dimension to dimension and exploring different game systems. So it's kind of like if you were to mix sliders with uh, Quantum Leap and put it into a role-playing game world. Like right now we're actually playing uh, – uh, they've slid into a pre-Normandy World War II hmm where they're all playing covert ops that are also werewolves. So we're playing Werewolf the Forsaken. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's called the this the scenario if you can believe it it's called Pack of Brothers. That's pretty cool. Instead of Band of Brothers. Yeah, nice. a little Band of I, Brothers. I see what you did there. But Werewolf uh, but using Werewolf the Forsaken New World of Darkness, you right. know, great great system. But then after that we're going to slide to a new role playing game system once they've completed kind of that um campaign, then they're going to slide into a new world. Whole new world with whole new objectives and whole new characters, but they're still their same personalities. Aladdin's going to show up. It's going to be great. Yeah, it's it's still like it's still their they still we call them their alpha personalities um, are being uh, thrown into these beta bodies, not unlike Quantum Leap. You know how he's 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 he, but he retains some of the memories and actions of the person whose body he's inhibiting, and he has to deal with that. Like he's got to. He's got a. He's leaping into this body for some reason. He has to find out why. In the same way, our cast has to find out why they're jumping from place to place to place the way they are. So it's a grand mystery thriller that enjoys its time on the Twitch channel from seven to ten on Monday nights. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's cool. And then I got a children's book. That just published. We got a little sneak peek before the show, and it is awesome. Yeah, it's called the ABCs of RPGs, and it is uh, it is literally a very sincere tribute to getting the tiny guardians and little adventures in your life involved (laughs) in reading and inspiration for all things that are great in in the role playing world. So it's it's like A is for adventure. May you always be on one. B is for book, the source of all of our fun. C is for creatures of all shapes and size. D is for dice. Can you count all the sides? <laughs> and uh, it's going to be in stores in October. You can order it from your friendly local game store, or you can go to, ready for this? This is actually, I think, the first time anyone's going to know about this, because I've been pretty hush-hush about it up until uh, I got all the backers got it. But ThinkGeek nice. is going to hold it um, starting in October. So, you know. 
go watch their Twitch and definitely go order that book. You won't be disappointed in that book. Just from the the little we got to see, you want that book. Even if you don't have kids, you want that book. (laughs) Ivan, you obviously have a love for RPGs. You wrote a whole game or a whole book about it. Children's role-playing game book. Right. Did you get started when you when you were a kid, or when did you get started in the RPG gaming world, just in general? I got into it in college, believe it or not. I had a brief interlude with it. Uh, believe it or not, I played the Palladium hmm. Fantasy System as my first book. Not a not a book. Looking at it later in life, not a book that you give a like thirteen year old. <laughs> um, it literally, I looked at the book later, it literally said on the cover, not intended for children. Yeah. <laughs> like, parents do not, because it involves demon sacrifices, like, it is not a, uh, you know, dark magic, like, it is not one meant for kids. But, lo and behold, my grubby little hands got a hold of it, and I tried to run a game when I was um, in middle school, and it did not go well. Um, went very poorly, actually. Hmm. I frustrated myself, I frustrated my group, and we, di- we didn't even get past the first encounter in the game just because my friends... Uh, it, was, it was one of those classic moments that you see even uh, happens to grown men, too, uh, where you get so set on the story that you want to tell that you don't allow your players' flexibility to have fun, you know? Sure. And that was the classic classic faux pas that I committed as as my first GM experience is I did not allow my players to have fun. They came into this with like, hey, we're going to go we're, I basically threw a goblin encounter in them and us being 13 year old boys, all they wanted to do was just do silly, stupid, mutilating <laughs> things to these goblins involving frying pans and oil and body parts, you know? <laughs> and that was, and that was, that was their fun for them. Um, and, and all I was so... my friends grew up to be serial killers, by the way. <laughs> right. But that and they was... moved down to small animals. <laughs> right. And, you know, was... They moved into it. But it was, uh, especially a lot of my buddies, they just were, they just kind of like, they didn't, they didn't take my story seriously. Hmm. And I was offended by that. 13-year-old Ivan was very offended <laughs> that they didn't want to play my story, you know? Well, and then... I'm glad that that didn't hold you off from RPGs in the no. long run. <laughs> in fact, if anything, it taught me a very pivotal lesson in yeah. that know what your players want. Like, before you start any game with a group, ask them, what are you expecting to get out of this game? Do you just want a way to blow off steam and kill off monsters and level up your characters? Do you want a deep, intensive, emotional storyline that makes you think? Like, what what are you all expecting, and how do you try to incorporate all of that into your session? Because I didn't do that with my first group, and I got frustrated and and basically closed the book and said, okay, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing this for you guys anymore because you're not taking it seriously and and was very moody about it. Could have been you were right around the age of 13. Right. Know, that might not have helped. <laughs> no, it, it probably didn't help either, but it's still whether I'm 13 or 30, <laughs> Yeah, it's still, yeah. A, it's still a very applicable rule in the world right. of GMing. Yeah, totally. It's, it's not just your fun, you know? Playing role-playing right. games is not just your fun. It, they, they have to have their fun too. So we have one last question uh, for you. And this one is a surprise question. You had no idea it was coming. 
And this one comes from one of our Patreon dragons, Blake Ryan. Um, Blake wants to ask, and (laughs) honestly, now that I'm seeing the question, I'm, I'm thinking this may not, this may have a very unsurprising answer. Possibly it'll have a surprising answer, but, uh, so you, Ivan, are going to a D and D themed Halloween party. What D and D famous hero or monster do you go dressed up as? I'm going to a D&D themed. Should we add the caveat that it can't be a dragon? <laughs> right. Well, no, if that's it is fair. a dragon, we still get to hear what kind of dragon he chooses. So I suppose there is still some surprise. If right? I had to pick a D&D character, like from the lore and the realms, I probably would want to find something that would that would fit to my persona who has some you know what I would do? I would go as Captain Dudermont. Nice. Boom. Very so sweet. So <laughs> I would if I were to go to do a D D theme one, I would dress up as Captain Dudermont because I am also a lazy costume person. <laughs> um, and that would involve the least amount of work. It would also be I, that would allow me to dress slick, be super classy and uh, kind of get my kind of get my pirate stuff out. Well, and then when people ask you, like, "Wait, who are you dressed up as?" You can not only tell them, but you can tell them the whole story of the captain. So there you go. <laughs> right. Talk about the high captains of Luskin, and just um, it's it's weird though. It's it's a it's a fun because it's not one of the the archetypical things that you would think of D and D. It's not just a classic like oh, I'm going as a drow or I'm going as a dragon. If I were to go as a dragon. I would probably just do a it, – it'd probably just have to be a black dragon just because or – or a bone dragon. Ooh, yes. Yeah, that'd be sweet. Dragon. You could have bone one of those suits where you turn off the lights and you turn on the uh, the black lights and all of a sudden, boop. Oh, yeah. It'd be <laughs> that'd be great. sweet. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't even have to be a, a Draco Lich. It can be like just a zombified dragon. Yeah. That'd be fine. Draco Lich <laughs> is like a little too – Intense, like how do you make a Draco Lich versus just <laughs> a little an undead dragon? Visually, like obviously magically, there are infinite difference between like a zombie dragon and a Draco Lich, but um, the infinite, uh, but just visually, what do you do? Give them red glowing eyes versus just <laughs> dead eyes? Like how do you how do you make that distinction? Um, good question, though. That's fun. <laughs> With that, let's start talking about what we came here to talk about. Dragons. We're going to be talking right. about dragons in their entirety today, both chromatic, both metallic. And so let's start beginning by talking and asking the question, what does it mean to be a true dragon? Well, I think uh, I, I personally have always viewed a true dragon as creatures who are outside of the worries of mortal men. Hmm. Like a true dragon is is either so timeless or so so ageless in its intelligence that it uh, the affairs that even if it can be involved themselves in the affairs of mortal men they are outside the the influence so to speak like a dragon doesn't have to worry about whether cities rise and fall they don't have to worry about even the long-lived races dying or aging wars don't matter to them they are inherently selfish creatures because that's what happens when you're near damn immortal you know as you become very me focused yeah that's a good that's a good point it's because dragons are mortal creatures but they're mortal in a sense that is so different uh, than most other creatures that are living. <laughs> yeah, they live longer than the than the oldest elves, 
Yeah. And so as a result, I mean, even elves are standoffish and snooty because they don't have the perspective that the short-lived races do who are more passionate and they just burn quickly and die out. But imagine imagine the snootiness and self-centeredness of an elf times a thousand, and that's really the personality of a true dragon, you know? So my question then is to you, Ivan, uh, is there a certain age that a dragon has to get to before it becomes a true dragon? Because <laughs> the little ones are kind of, you know, vulnerable right. and they're not they're not nearly as powerful. So No, of course not. So a true dragon would have to be like, I personally feel like it'd have to be an adult up, you know. So granted, uh, you know, uh, elves could live for a thousand years. So um, you have to imagine that it, I would think it'd have to to be older than the oldest living elf would be my theory around it. If I was going to, if I was going to build a world centered around the snootiness and self-centeredness of dragons, all of the adult dragons would probably be older than the oldest elf in the lore that I would build around Hmm. it. If that was going to be my circumstances. Now, if you're just focusing only on the intelligence of dragons in like D and D environments, you have to assume that that intelligence comes with experience and time. You know, the baby dragons, even fledgling dragons, don't have the experience that their adults do, and the ones that live to adults are intelligent because of experience. It's not, it's not just something, you're not just born with, with the knowledge of how the world works. You have to experience it. So. I think that focus on the intelligence is something that comes along with the idea of being a true dragon. I mean, in the D&D books, uh, it describes true dragons as uh, the chromatic and the metallic dragons. That's uh, black, blue, green, red, white, and then metallic is brass, bronze, copper, gold, and silver. And we're going to talk about the intelligence that they have specifically in a little bit. But going along with that, there are so many creatures uh, especially like in the D&D world that have dragon blood. Ivan, you mentioned right. your tattoos. I have a Weavern tattoo. I have a this tattoo. Yeah. And in a D&D world, not all of those are true dragons. And that's part of that is that intelligence is not there. That's true. That and that's very is true. not there. You know, a Wyvern like, is not is in, in, the, in the D&D or like the D&D sense, a Wyvern is not a true dragon. It is a it is a beast. It is a feral beast, just like a worm is, yes. or like a feathered serpent, or even a leviathan. These are all beasts. That, leviathan may have a certain semblance of sentience, or not sentience, everything is sentience, but just uh, um, self-awareness and intelligence. But you're right. These are not true dragons. It's just in our in our current mythology, that's outside of that. You're really just focusing on whether a true dragon is how you define it in a D&D term. In a world building yeah. D and D term versus how you would make it in other ways. To be fair, though, in a storytelling sense, that's not a bad way to go. Like having a wyvern be like a beast of burden or a style of just a feral creature that you have to deal with versus a true dragon, which is something of the near of the near immortal races. You want to make a distinction between them. And I think it's a good point that you know <laughs> this is. D&D lore, but a lot of our listeners make their own homebrew worlds. Right. Uh, you'd get to define what exactly a true dragon is in your world. Right. For all you know, wyverns could be like the dragon riders of Pern, in yes. which they all share a mental connection with every one of their riders. And there's a whole th- there's a whole telekinetic bond between you and your beast. And then they don't have the magical powers that is gifted to you in like Faerun and all those other dragons. But they have maybe abilities and powers that are 
explored to a to a smaller degree. Like that's the best thing about role playing is that you you take what you want and you leave what you don't want. <laughs> I like the idea as well of true dragons being um, the first of dragon kind because. I mean, most dragon lore is all about dragons will mate with pretty much anything. And in yeah. D&D lore over the years, the explanation of that, I think, has kind of turned into the fact that dragons can shapeshift. Right. And that's kind of changed. I know in 5e now, it specifically says that the metallic dragons, the good dragons, have the ability to shapeshift. And it doesn't state that anymore. For the chromatic, the evil dragons. Well, it makes yeah. sense because because it would be one of those things where you know a bad dragon who is in human form could get away with a lot more. And and, and I guess in a lore sense, why would they want to live a lot yeah. among the lesser races? Why why would they even make an effort to go and hang out at Waterdeep or whatever with a bunch of dirty, short lived humans? What's the point? They would just want to come in and rain death, destruction, and hell because that's what you do when you're green or when you're black or when you're anything else like that. And it's that sense of ego that you keep on coming back to as well. Like we are the true dragons. A dragon is not going to look on a, a kobold, even though a kobold has dragon blood as its equal. No way, no how they are the true dragons. I think of it in the like Harry Potter sense of like dragons would look at other dragon kind as and like mud them. bloods. Like they yeah. are not true they are not pure. Well, I mean, that's the whole point of, of them having ego, too, is it's not even just about judging other creatures with, with potential dragon blood. They just judge other creatures. Yeah. <laughs> They're the greatest. <laughs> they, com they compare everything to different shades of respect. It's like nothing is as good as me, but you this thing has my respect more than this other thing does. And it scales all the way down to... I have no respect for you at all. So it's uh, it's kind of fun because that's how you can create interesting story hooks or create levels of interaction with dragons. And how, and, and in my opinion, some of the some of the most fun stuff is pitting dragons using diplomacy in order to <laughs> create interesting moments with dragons that don't involve combat. Yeah, you know? I had a buddy run a very long 3.5 edition game between him and me, and most of his storyline was around dragons that had reverted to human form and were basically pitting different factions of of the world against each other, and they were all doing it because they were... In his world, the dragons were sent there as a prison, and they were doing it because they were bored. And the worst part of it was is, is that this world, this prison of theirs, was uh, on repeat. So, like, it would only... The first, the first century of the world would repeat over and over and over again... And the punishment was for this the one dragon who was who was sent to this place in order to do that in order to watch his son die over and over again in a cataclysmic byproduct of the Oof. events of the players. And that was his purgatory, basically. <laughs> he was sent there to this world in order to watch the events of his son un his son's death unfold every century or so. You know, is that dragon's name Bill Murray? Right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, sure, didn't. It took no small inspiration. That's um, awesome. 
but that's fun, <laughs> you know. And that was that was the way that he was able to like have these have these NPCs be essentially untouchable. Like that was his way of like, oh, you you can't kill these NPCs. You know, you may try, but you will experience something that you probably don't want to run into. Yeah. Um, but that was his way of being like, these are my untouchable NPCs in order to uh, further his storyline's design. Hmm. Which I thought was I thought was clever. It, to me, it also felt like, well, an, an invulnerable NPC is, there's no point. Like, every NPC should be vulnerable in a way. But if you've, all, but if you've also, if so much of your storyline is anchored on a single NPC, and the last thing you want to do is, is topple that column, you know, before it's, before it's met, it's before the ceiling's been built. Everyone does it in their own ways. So I can't judge. <laughs> Little Ivan would have got up and walked away <laughs> at that point. Little Ivan would have been, yeah, he would have, if you toppled my column uh, back then. But uh, I, thankfully now I, I adapt and respond a little bit better. Right. In fact, a lot of my jamming tactics nowadays are reactionary versus them being um, with too much, uh, too much planning. Hmm. So Nice. So let's talk a little bit about dragon powers. There's a lot of them. We talked about some of the shape-shifting stuff that goes on there. But I'd like to hear your guys' take on some of the powers. What ones do you like? What ones do you like from older editions brought? You know, th- This is an endless possibility for the question. So what, what powers do you guys like going forward from some of the dragons? I think, to me, right away, like obviously there's things that come into mind with dragons. But to me, just the fact that if I'm a PC and I run into a dragon, it's the sheer size, the strength of dragons. They can fly, which gives them a huge advantage. I mean, dragons can literally swallow most PCs whole if they want to. Like the older dragons, the the ancient, the adult dragons. Dragons are dinosaurs on steroids that have all these other attributes to them. They're intelligent that alone makes them scary, but beyond that, there's so much more to dragons. And I like the ones where their their magic is so powerful that it's kind of impossible for a good resistance check to be done. And hmm. the only way that that's fun, that's like that's no fun if it's like a fireball or like <laughs> chain lightning or whatever. But the, but where it becomes fun is as if a dragon uses a lot of illusionary magic. Yeah, you know, a lot of dominance magic stuff like that where they can they can really screw with a player's mind in mm-hmm. the sense of of either making them feel or believe something that you in fact I think that's a really great way to like reveal information about a world is to have like a dragon like just sucker punch a vision right into your PC's face hmm. and being like look at this you know, kind of situation. Whether you want to know this is true or not, this is the truth kind of situation. Well, they could, I mean, they could even completely lie to you too in those right. instances. They could sucker punch you with a complete lie and make you believe something totally different than you may have believed your entire life. And that just shatters your character in and of itself. Your character no longer knows what's true and what's not. And from then on, you know, you become the doubter of the group. Like, for whatever, I mean, there's so many possibilities with mind magic that right. can alter. A character. What is life? Right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Like in the last campaign I just did, I I used the madness tactic and somebody retreated into their mind for 80 rounds (laughs) worth of combat. 
We were never going to get like, all right, yeah, you're you're done for this combat. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was, you're you know, done. so things like that are so much fun cuz it's one thing to throw a fireball at somebody and it's like, "Oh, I'm a rogue. I just I just dodge it even if I roll terribly, like I just dodge it." It's another thing if you can manipulate somebody's mind and make them do crazy things that they wouldn't otherwise do right. because the role playing that can come out of that is just fantastic without getting too lovecraftian about it without like doing diving into like the 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 madness element because there's a whole different time and place for that kind of lovecraftian kind of uh, madness and intrigue you know you don't want to you don't want to shatter your players minds and break them down in a way because in a classic D game it is all about like you know perpetual self-growth growing into an arc and bettering yourself every single day. Call of Cthulhu, when Sandy Peterson did that, he literally did the exact opposite scale. <laughs> yep. Where it's like, I want my players to get weaker over time <laughs> and slowly become madness. So, you know, mixing them together it gets a little bit fuzzy. But that's why if I'm, if I'm going to use madness and dominance, it's really going to be like, it's going to be for like a plot hook. Or for right. like a real major moment and not going to be like an ongoing difficult thing that they have to deal with. Um, or right. maybe they do. Maybe it just is the, it is the thing that leads to the next quest. Maybe, a, maybe yeah. your player is so riddled by madness that the only way to get them done is to go and find some way to scrub his mind clean. And that's where you have to mm. head off to next. Or, so. yeah, I mean, too, if he's so maddened at that point... Um... That he just, they just see things differently, and they see a different side to the plot that was originally there, and they go and you just take a whole different plot. Different hook arc. It changes. It changes the story from, or maybe it doesn't change the story. Maybe that's something that needed to happen to somebody in order to, you know, turn that corner in the campaign. That's cool. Yeah, that yeah. sounds that sounds fun. I think the <laughs> one of the powerful differences between dragons, if you ask someone on the street who doesn't really consider them as themselves a geek and you especially ask a geek who loves to play D&D is the difference of the breath weapons like somebody who really isn't interested in geeky culture like would know that dragons breathe fire uh, you go and you like watch a movie with a dragon it's it's always fire but if you come into a world of fantasy if you come into forgotten realms or whatever you have dragons with a whole slew of different types of breath attacks ranging from fire cold lightning bolts coming out of a dragon's mouth to even a cloud of poison which makes it so much more dangerous when there's these huge creatures out there who can use all these different types of breath attacks. Yes, my I am playing a dragonborn who is resistance to fire. Well, that's not going to help you when you come across an angry white dragon. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 fun and I think to a certain meta degree they did that so that it wasn't just like you know, the game favored heavily on fire resistance yeah. or whatever, just because all dragons breathe fire. It made a more well-balanced engagement um, across the different boards. But also thematically, it's just fun, too, you know, and the different domains they live in and and uh, how, they, how they bring their own... At preparing for an encounter with a dragon, knowing what kind of dragon it is, becomes part of the adventure. <laughs> you know, you know you're going after a green dragon, so you just build up on as much acid resistance as you possibly can. Exactly, 
and it becomes a part of that journey. And that is a good way to kind of structure players. I think that's a great point. Like if you introduce early on the fact that defeating a dragon of a specific type is a goal for your players, then that can really set like a lot of the small adventures built into that overall campaign. Like you said, Ivan, like you can literally have your players get ready by seeking out magical items, artifacts right. that help them against that certain dragon. And then if you're a jerk DM, that dragon has another friend dragon who just yeah, shows up I and know, is like, hey, guess what? Last minute, you know, <laughs> did you meet my pal here? Yeah. Look at this guy. Look at this guy. Selfies. Uh, boop. I remember, I remember briefly them having a, a little bit of an interlude for that in which the Critical Role gang was preparing to to beat a dragon and they had to go through several adventures just to go and get the equipment they needed because they were so under level to defeat this creature, you know? Yeah. Um, that's part of it. That's what makes it fun. Again, it's, I don't think every adventure needs to have a dragon slaying no. storyline <laughs> element Just because to it's it. called Dungeons and Dragons doesn't mean you need to have a dungeon in every single game. It doesn't mean you ha- need to have a dragon in every single game. Right, right, right. <laughs> that, exactly. If you do that, then it's going to start to become old is kind of the, <laughs> the thing. Right. So. It becomes part of the bit. And working all this into one big, maybe like last factor to look at with the power of dragons is in pretty much every D&D version of a dragon a dragon has some sort of frightful presence added oh dragon it. fright mm-hmm. yeah which is it makes so much sense like even the bravest of warriors coming across a dragon towering over them are going to have this oh my gosh there's a dragon this is scary factor added into it and just everything added up together makes it so you need to truly be strong of will strong of heart (laughs) to fight that dragon to run up and stab that dragon (laughs) (laughs) it's 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 true because you uh you hit the nail on the head is that you have to have the strongest amount of willpower in order to even affront a dragon and um I, i i'm trying to think of like especially when it comes to playing games like what is that what does that mean is it a psychic dominance or is it yeah. just sheer force is it the bilbo baggins going <laughs> to see smog kind of situation because he didn't really experience dragon fright he kept his cool you know but he is also <laughs> strong of heart as well too but uh um but in the midst of battle like just having anything swoop down on you is terrifying ah, man dragons and in D anD to be honest, I don't really run them that much yeah. in my games. Although me, to be fair, I don't run a lot of fantasy games. Hmm. Um, I'm so stuck in a lot of the other systems because Matt Mercer is doing <laughs> fantasy so well yep. that I don't get to do it on on Geek and Sundry much. The most I ever got to do was on the Geek and Sundry channel is the Pugmire uh, hmm. episodes, which were fun. But there's no dragons in Pugmire. Maybe there should be. So I have to talk to Eddie about that. Uh, uh, Dogs versus so dragons. Do you? Do you, um, that's actually an interesting question. Do you run? Do you put dragons in your campaigns a lot? Not, not a lot. Um, I and I think that I think that is a huge part of this. Is that dragons? I don't think f- in general dragons should be in campaigns a lot. I think it needs to be a big moment. And Ivan, you touched on this before, but. 
as DMs, we also need to realize that putting a dragon in a campaign does not always mean that it has to be for a combat sake. There's more to dragons in their intelligence. There's mm-hmm. more to a dragon than its sheer combat ability. And right. when you drop a dragon into a campaign, if it's that campaign you do put a dragon in, it needs to be it needs to be a big moment. I know Chris ran a campaign, you ran a campaign where it was the Dragon Wars and it was a huge event and we got glimpses of this one dragon all the way through the campaign and finally at the end we got to fight off in this big battle against this dragon and it was a monumentous moment so it it was no you know it 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 was not something that you'd run into every single campaign for sure and i personally especially with the polymorphing and dealing with with dragons in a political sense just as much as in a combat sense i almost part of me would want to if i was going to run a really good dragon in a campaign i would want to make it so like there's really no hope in beating the dragon through traditional means so you Hmm. have to you have to use all of your wits minds and influence to steer steer that like that that arrow of destruction in the way that you want it to go you know it's it's you you can uh, not necessarily taking a dragon as an ally but really just outwitting the most intelligence of creatures i think would be a very satisfying thing for a group of players is basically what I'm trying to get at. Um, and I think this is a good segue talking about the other aspects of dragons beyond just their their sheer power and their spellcasting ability and their breath attack and all this frightening stuff. Let's go talk about the characteristic that's true of both chromatic and metallic dragons, but their greed. Like dragons are they are oh, yeah. they're greedy creatures. Uh, they greedy they creatures. love hordes. I think the mm-hmm. <laughs> I think one of the few things that the Hobbit movies did right was showing us the great wealth that Smog had underneath him, and it really portrayed that this dragon is a greedy dragon, and it's it's really just based on the fact that they they want it. I mean, dragons don't take their yeah. gold and they go out and they buy things with it. They just want to have it so that they can have it. And kind of it's this their equivalent of being like, look at how much riches I have. That's right. Did you ever did you ever watch the watch and or read The Flight of Dragons by Peter Dickinson? No, not me. That was a cartoon back in 83 by Jules Bass that he did. And um, it was kind of a corny but but fun uh, story. And they they one of the things that I loved is how they explain the horde. Hmm. For dragons, in that especially for evil dragons, I can see them absolutely just doing it for solely the ego reasons. But then you'd have to explain, well, why wouldn't green or why wouldn't uh, all the goodly dragons um, have something like that too? And this kind of explains a fun way why. I'll get right to it, is, is that dragons have impenetrable scales, right? It's their armor is so thick and it's so incredibly difficult to penetrate that what what is one of the softest metals that's out there besides like pewter um gold has a low melting point right mm-hmm. yeah and gold being a soft metal i would like to think that a soft metal like gold would actually feel pretty awesome against dragon's dragon skin versus say like rock hard stone hmm. You know, yeah. So I often think, often do think of large piles of gold as like a 
mattress hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. for dragons. That is kind of cheesy, but it kind of makes sense at the same time. Uh, right. Yeah. Very a little cheesy, but it's and it, it isn't as dramatic as just like the great wealth and, and ego and gluttony of dragons. But um, I if you want to humanize your 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 goodly ones a little bit, I think that's a fun yeah. little thing to drop. Yeah. So. No. Yeah, a dragon never seems as comfortable as when it's sleeping on a a bed of gold, of gold, like and treasure. And it's literally a bed of gold. Yeah, <laughs> a bed of exactly. Yeah. And another thing I like <laughs> that the five E DMG talks about is that uh, we're talking about like making a good dragon and their their quote unquote greed like seem good, uh, seem more than just like, wow, what a, even that good dragon's coming off as a greedy jerk, but it talks about, uh, the metallic dragons. It's more of a sense of their collectors. They like to add to their collection and that their treasure is always going to not just be random gold, but it's going to reflect, uh, the persona and the life and the memories that that dragon has. So you kind of will be able to tell who that dragon is, what kind of life he's lived from their treasure and it goes to right. the degree of also saying that they will collect powerful magical artifacts and items, not strictly out of greed, but also to protect less powerful creatures from getting their hands on it and causing havoc, which I think does put that oh, that's twist to it. That's cool. I think that's actually fun is that goodly dragons might store powerful artifacts and, and elements because who would be best to guard yes, them exactly. but the dragon? <laughs> you know, again, going back to the ego again, it's like, well, no adventure, no, you know, 60-year-old human is going to ever protect this deadly philanthropy or this this awesome yeah. artifact. And I don't trust a greedy, a greedy dwarven king to hold yeah. on to it. It's best in my hands, safely tucked away in my lair. Yeah. So that's cool. That's cool. I like that. There's something interesting that I noticed in the uh, monster manual for 5th edition for the blue dragon, the ancient blue dragon. Amidst all of the gold that's on there, there's also dead bodies Hmm. in the middle of that and so (laughs) i wonder if that might be something interesting too that we don't often think about if they just you know we've talked about collecting things if in their hoard they have those types of things included in there like their conquered foes are in in they have a story for each of the corpses kind of thing yeah, or do they have a separate room where it's like this is my hoard for you know treasure? This is you know <laughs> they oh, organize my be war so, hoard. You know? <laughs> so traumatic finding a just hoard of dead bodies in a pile. <laughs> or maybe a maybe a dragon who is who is trying to fluff his account a little bit. Maybe just puts all the bodies in the center and then piles gold right. on top of it in like a thin <laughs> shell, so it looks like he has more gold than what he actually oh. has. What a surprise to the players when they find a huge pile of gold they defeat the blue dragon they start like collecting the gold and underneath it's like it's so not what it looks like it's just dead bodies yeah. underneath it's just dead bodies <laughs> in rags and like really bad beat yeah. of armor yeah. and it's just like what <laughs> uh, and it, then they find out that he was like the sham of dragons yeah. he's like the lowest of the of the totem pole <laughs> like the outcast that um has been he, his his lair has been raided more than once and, and uh, he's the only reason why he's close to society is because he wants to feel some sort of appreciation and it's oh. humans thinking that they're scared of him <laughs> oh that's that's where that's where he gets all of his uh 
his power from. That's a that's a that's a terribly human a relatable thing to give a creature <laughs> like that. So you could write a kids book about it. I'm sure. Oh my you know? gosh. I mean, the the, the, the dragon, dragon who just who, wanted to be friends. The ugly dragon or something like that. Uh, yeah. Oh gosh. I've actually heard the new. I've heard the new Peace Dragon's actually really good. Hmm. Um, the 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 reboot. I've heard they actually did a really good job with it. Speaking of dragons, still relevant in modern <laughs> culture. So. Yeah. So let's talk about encounter hooks, uh, adventure and encounter hooks. We each, as we do with all raw real monsters episode, we have some encounter and adventure hooks for you for dragons. So Ivan, we want to hear from you first. What is your adventure slash encounter hook idea for a DM to use in a campaign with dragons? I'm actually really liking this angle that Chris talked about earlier where you were discussing, like, there is a dragon who is simply... He has put himself close to humans so that he can uh, get that emotional satisfaction of the fact that characters are scared of him. Hmm. But what what really is... is what what really the players don't know is that he's just a sham. Like he's just a he's a charlatan <laughs> of dragons, is what he is. In fact, most of his stuff is fake. And what he does fool's is he gold. it's fool's gold, you know, or it's just bad, badly put together items or whatever. And the idea is is that this this dragon is is being bullied by other dragons that are much. Uh, that are either are older than him or maybe they're younger than him because he is so old. So maybe it's fun because this is a the, – the adventure hook that I would have is, is that a senior citizen dragon who really just wants to relive his glory days but has gotten aged to the point of where he is no longer useful really to the world. The encounter starts primarily with this encounter with this dragon that goes – well, but well enough to the point where they don't kill him. They really, maybe they do, and they realize that this is just a poor, downtrodden creature that is being bullied by something greater than he is, and what and what that means to them. Do they avenge him? Do they do they bring him to justice? Do they go and tell him what's what? How are they going to basically deal with the injustice of dragon hierarchy culture? And for all we know. There, if we want to take it even deeper, maybe there is a reason that the dragons have put him down like this. Maybe he was r- truly a terrible beast <laughs> at one point in his life, and they have to come back and um, uh, and deal with him later. So I like it. It could be a plight, unlike senior, senior citizens, or it could be a don't trust what other dragons say because even if they say they're downtrodden and they're beaten upon, they're really just looking for their opportunity to strike. And Chris, what about your adventure or encounter hook? What have you got for us? So I like dragons being this mythical, magical creature, and my idea has to do with if you were to kill a dragon, there was some sort of extra buff or benefit that you get from killing that dragon so maybe it's something you come up with like red dragons give you this special buff or you know blue dragons give you this special buff or gold dragons give you this special buff when you kill it it would almost give incentive for people to try and go out and kill these dragons or you might have these crazy group of people that go out and only kill specific dragons because they get this euphoria off of that buff from that dragon sort of thing so I, I like that idea of dragons, you know, they're, they're super scary. They come and they kill and they destroy. And at the same time, there might be 
races of people who try to be the quote unquote dragon to the dragons where they come in and they kill the dragons. They destroy the dragons to try and get the riches one. Well, one, the actual riches from yeah, the dragon <laughs> the and two, the extra added bonus from killing that sort of dragon. I like that a lot because not only does that play on the classic, like magic is in a dragon's blood, like, and we dragon's blood, like is something that is very prevalent in D and D games. Like you see all the different types of dragons and then they have offspring that has, they have dragon blood. And if you're a character with dragon blood, you're more powerful. But I think there's also a story there about how, you know, we see the blue dragon, like you said, the red dragon as evil but maybe they're not evil maybe it's just at the beginning of time like and as dragons are old they remember how the rest of these mortals would chase them down and they were they were not the hunters at that point they were the hunted right and there's this story of like dragons are they didn't start as evil uh, but we kind of forced them into that because we hunted them down like animals these intelligent beautiful creatures for their blood yeah so it's almost sky skyrim-esque where you like ingest or like the soul becomes a part of you but it's not a permanent thing it's only like a temporary thing it has a duration that it'll last and then it and then it wears off yeah mitch what about your idea that you have my idea is something that has been done before for D&D campaigns, but it's something that I would love to run myself as a DM and put a little twist on it. Basically, I would love to run a campaign where the players are legendary warriors, where they are these warriors chosen through destiny as dragon riders. And so maybe they're raised in a guild or something along those lines, and at... Basically, when they reach the age of a teenager or something along those lines, they are paired with an egg of a dragon. And together, they and that dragon are put in charge of defending the nation or the world it could even be from outside dangers. And so the twist that I had in my mind was that I was thinking it would be cool to do a campaign where... Uh, because dragons in themselves are intelligent creatures, you could actually have, let's say you have a group of four players, you could have two players be the legendary warriors and two players be the dragons that they are paired with. And then as players level up, you can have the dragons grow older and you can take the different types of dragons as far as age and have them get bigger and stronger along with the players it might need a little bit of work and a little bit of uh, trying it out to see how the balance would be but to me that would be so cool to have uh, these two players or these two warriors hooked up with these two dragons and together they would go out and fight against these evil forces that are trying to destroy their nation their world whatever it is so, Ivan, thanks so much for your intelligence, uh, for being a dragon. That's why we invited you here. Ego, intelligence, greed, all oh, of that gosh. stuff. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Thanks for Seriously, bringing your th- ego, intelligence, and greed yeah, to the channel. Yeah, you know, or maybe, or maybe we're just maybe we're just stroking the ego of a charlatan. Who, who that's knows? that's I, perfectly I, I fine. No idea. Yeah, I'll go uh, out with my if, with my cane and start like taking my hat and doing shuffle cups around. Oh, there, we, so. there we go. Uh, if people would like to get in contact with you, just to say thank you or you know whatever, where could they get in contact with you at? I'm I'm pretty easy. Uh, on Twitter, it's Hydra underscore Lord. 
that's pretty much everywhere. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. If you want to come find me on Geek and Sundry Twitch, I'm there literally every week <laughs> on Thursdays. And then, yeah, make sure to check out Monday Nights. You know, come hang out, play games. It's always super fun. I, honestly, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure yeah. being able to talk with other game masters like you and, you know, kind of pick brains. I sometimes <laughs> worry that... Uh, no matter what stage in GMing you are, you can always learn something from somebody. Yes. And there's no reason to say that, oh, well, I'm a better game master than blankety blank, because that's all that's all just relative to your own ego and how you feel about what you do, is that you can always learn something more from the people around you. Hmm. People are there to inspire and and create more opportunities and moments in your own glory. So I I thank you very much from the bottom of my heart for being able to um, bring that to the world, not only to me, but also to the world. Thank you. So. And, and we thank yeah. you Thanks for those kind words. for being on our show, and hopefully we'll have you on again sometime soon in the future. Absolutely. All right, guys, I'll see you later. Have a great time, and you know, keep, keep, keep being awesome and keep rolling dice. Well, that's all we have for this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block. We want to thank Ivan for coming on the show to talk all about dragons. And like he said, you can go and find him at all of those places. They'll be in the show notes where you can go and find him. Check out his show on Geek and Sundry's Twitch as well. Check him out there. I'm sure he'll probably throw dragons in there somewhere as well if you're <laughs> interested. Uh, if you would like to get in contact with us, you can send us an email at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And if you would be so kind, head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review, and you will get a shout-out in a future episode. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMs block. You can also go. We have a Facebook page. You can hit the little thumbs-up button. That's called a like button. That's how you do it on Facebook. And if you go to either one of those places, you're going to get updates about the show. You're going to get D&D memes. You're going to get awesome stuff all around we have a patreon member shout out of the week and this week's patreon member shout out goes to tyler so thank you so much tyler for your bronze level patreon support we greatly respect you and fear you oh yes for giving us that uh, amount of patronage so thank you so much Thanks, Tyler. The Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. If you want to learn more about the Block Party Podcast Network and the other shows that are a part of it, head on over to blockpartypodcastnetwork.com. There you'll find our other shows, Story Arc Podcast, The GM Showcase, Geek Wars, and We're So Bad at Adventuring. We would love for you to check out all of the rest of those shows. We'll keep you held over all week. So it's time for us to wrap up this episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the most important person in the game, the Dungeon Master. The only person capable of playing God, killing all the characters, and lowering the egos of all the players at your table. Have a great night, everyone. And keep on Dungeon Mastering. Go ahead and do the countdown. One, two, oh, three, two, one. Whoa, no, that messed me up. <laughs> you said countdown. You said countdown. I, was, I was ready for the one, two, three. You messed me up. Uh, All right, uh, do the countdown or count out, whatever. <laughs> Goodbye.